0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is taken from Proverbs 11, verses 3 to 8. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. This is our text. The first idea to be observed in this text is that wickedness leads to destruction. We all realize this in one way or another. Drugs, addictions, these things are immoral because they weaken our understanding and our self-control. They make us more and more self-centered as we center on whatever activity it is that's bringing us pleasure. And people who are out of control, overdose, or suicide, or their recklessness causes accidents from poor judgment, Death follows from this wickedness. Another kind of wickedness that leads to destruction is oppression and exploitation. It too can be habit-forming. You take advantage of people. They might be even people you live with. They might be people you have an economic relationship with. But it's habit-forming. We justify it because it seems so normal. But little do we know it, we are sowing the seeds of our own destruction. There's the story repeated in culture after culture of the wicked Lord who so oppressed his minions that they rose up and killed him. And as we know from U.S. history, not even the President of the United States is immune from assassination. The most powerful man in the world has to be protected and sometimes those protections fail. So when we commit wickedness against others, we know that it will come back. Our chickens will come home to roost And on the domestic level, again, a story that's repeated over and over again in many cultures and too often in our own neighborhoods, the husband who so oppressed his wife that she could not love the selfish oath and neglected his needs when he needed help. As you've done it to others, so shall it be done to you. But these are not the only forms of wickedness. There's neglect, there's ignorance. These things are immoral because nothing other than our own convenience matters to those who are lazy and negligent and those who ignore what they should know better. Those who avoid work and exercise and discipline, they face heart attacks and strokes and other health problems. Those who neglect or ignore the rules of driving or equipment operation suffer accidents. Those who put off going to the doctor until it is too late. My own dear beloved mother did this. She had blood in her urine in January, didn't get around to seeing the doctor till March, and her cancer was incurable by that time. You see, there's a momentum to our lives leading downward through sin and wickedness to the grave. As it says in our text, the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. And this is not talking about sexual desire exclusively, but by every desire for evil, whether it's a wicked desire for more sleep, or the desire for revenge, or envy, or gratification of our appetites. Wickedness leads to destruction. We observe it in daily life, and the ancient Hebrews, when these Proverbs were written, saw it as well. But the converse is also true. Righteousness leads to life. As it says in our text, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. You see, there's something about righteousness that lets you, helps you make right decisions. It helps you attain integrity and avoid that wickedness, that crookedness that is so self-destructive. The righteousness of the upright, our text says, delivers them. You see, when the treacherous are captive by their lust, their wicked desires, the righteousness of the upright leads them to say no to selfish, wicked, self-destructive desires. That's why it says in our text that righteousness delivers from death. There's a connection between death and sin as we demonstrated in our rite of the imposition of ashes. Remember, O oh man, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Death comes because of Sin. Adam and Eve fell into sin and caused all humankind to have the momentum that carries us into death and hell. Now, most of you here tonight are relatively righteous. Most of you have no jail record. Most of you are not in danger of being killed by those who have offended or exploited. Most of you are not sick at least not sick to the point of death. And most of you are guided by a fear of punishment or a fear of shame and a reciprocal love of those who love you. This counts for relative righteousness in our society, in our circles. You are not being shamed for what you've said on the Internet. But this is not the absolute righteousness that escapes death. You may be relatively righteous, but ultimately wicked. It says in our text that the hope of the wicked will perish. Apply this test to yourself. What is it that you hope for? If you were to die tonight, would your hope perish? Do you hope to win the lottery? Do you hope to get riches? Do you hope to win the girl to achieve that relationship? you hope to get revenge, to catch up with those you envy, all of that will end if you were to die tonight. If the thought of death puts you in despair, then you have the wickedness our text talks about. And don't be fooled about myths about playing golf in heaven or other nonsense that we hear at too many funerals. There is no golf in heaven. God is our only reward. And if you haven't gotten comfortable with God in this life, the life hereafter doesn't hold much to appeal to you. For the hope of the wicked will perish. So we need not the relative righteousness that wins the praise of this earth, we need not the relative righteousness that enables us to get along with other sinners. We need another kind of righteousness to escape from death. And so the implication of our text is this, turn to the righteousness of Christ. Since we lack this righteousness that delivers from death, God himself has provided You remember the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. God spared Isaac by providing the ram. You know the story of the Exodus, when God sent the angel of death to slay the firstborn. God spared Israel by sending the Passover lamb. And God has looked with pity upon our condition, and God has provided us with the sacrifice, which provides the righteousness that we lack the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He himself said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, we receive through him the righteousness that avails. We receive from Christ that righteousness that puts off eternal death. And we receive Christ's righteousness through His Word and sacraments. You see, these are His means of grace, His means of communicating His righteousness to us. By hearing His Word, by hearing that message, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, St. Paul says. And so when we hear His Word, God's Word works in our hearts. It gives us faith, and faith is the means by which we receive the righteousness of Christ. For faith is the link, the pipeline, the wire by which our sin is put on Christ and His righteousness given to us. We receive Christ's righteousness by embracing our baptism. In baptism, you've been baptized into Christ and the water acts like the the water in a washing. It takes our sin and puts it on Christ and it takes Christ's righteousness and puts it on us. It's a crude illustration, but that perfume soap that removes the dirt from your hands and leaves them smelling sweet is what baptism does for you. For Christ removes your dirt And gives you his cleanness, righteousness, savor before God. We receive Christ's righteousness when we believe the holy absolution. The word absolution means forgiveness. It's pronounced by the pastor in the stead of Christ when we confess our sins before the Lord and then we receive his word of forgiveness That's why Christ breathed on His disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven, and whoever sins you retain, they are retained. So the pastoral ministry is given to guide you, encourage you, point out the Word of Christ, and to speak that Word of forgiveness to the penitent sinners. And finally, most wondrously, We receive Christ's righteousness when we receive the body broken for us and the blood spilled for us in Holy Communion. Christ Himself is the sacrifice. And just as Israel ate the Passover lamb, so we are invited to eat Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that He might dwell in us, and we dwell in Him. We receive these things, body and soul, because Christ became man, body and soul, to redeem us, body and soul. And so the Christian tradition always regards the highest form of worship, the reception of Christ's very body and blood in His Holy Communion. In these, we receive a righteousness that delivers from death. And we receive new desires for living. Notice how they go together. God declares us free from sin and He plants the seeds of new desires in our hearts so that we who have been freed from sin don't go back to it, not like the dog that goes back to what it has vomited to eat it again. No, we do not go back to sin, but we have new desires to live for Him who died for us. For you see, the hope of the righteous is Christ in whom we have forgiveness, new desires, and eternal life. May this message of Christ and the wisdom of the Proverbs lead you to turn away from the wickedness that ends in death to embrace the righteousness of Christ that gives eternal life and healing. Amen. Amen. And may that peace of God, which surpasses understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord.